The following is a message from Pastor Kelly Hewitt and Live It, a ministry of St. Marcus. For more information or for message notes, go to www.liveitmke.org. Those of you who are visiting Live It for the first time or first time back in a little while, we like to use teaching series where we talk about a topic for a little while and we talk about a number of different pieces that all relate to a general topic. And the topic we're really focusing on for a four-week stretch is this idea of baggage. This idea that there is pieces of our lives, that things that have happened that we all carry with us. That not, maybe you're not struggling with this right now, some of the pieces, but you know somebody who's struggling with them. It's a pretty prevalent picture. Think about this as, as we go through this entire series. It's, these are components, these are each different bags that different people pick up. And sometimes people are trying to carry multiple bags. For those of you who've traveled, you've all seen that person who shows up to the airport who has nine bags. Have you ever seen that family at the airport? Maybe some of you have been that family or person at the airport, and and each bag is a little bit different in weight, but you just watch them as they try to flag down the bellhop or or whatever, the person who's at the curb to help you carry all these bags and get them all checked in, because as you watch them try to carry them, it's just unruly. And often in our lives, we're struggling with that baggage ourselves. And so what we're doing is we're going through this series and we're talking about some of the different baggage that we carry and and some of the baggage that Satan whispers to us. The baggage is not stuff that we should be carrying. So if you want to give a definition for what is the baggage, how do we define what is baggage? Baggage is listening to the lies that Satan tells us to snatch us from Jesus. Baggage is listening to the lies that Satan tells us to snatch us from Jesus. From Jesus. So as you're taking a, th- a look at the different components and the pieces to the baggage, these are the things that those who are walking with Jesus, these are the things that they struggle with. It's not, you know, they're, they're the emotional things. They're the things that are unseen. And for many of us, it's the, the big backpack and the big luggage that we're hauling around that nobody else may even realize we're dealing with because we're good at hiding it and we're good at just covering it up. But Satan loves causes problems with it. Satan loves to whisper into our ear a few little things, and he loves to distract us, and he loves to use these, these pieces of baggage to get us off course. And so tonight we're talking about a, a different piece of baggage. Tonight's piece of baggage that we're talking about is powerlessness. The idea that I have no power, I have no control in this situation that I'm struggling because everything that's happening around me and I can't affect change. I can't do anything. And it overwhelms us. And I'm going to tell you, this is, there are times in our lives where God has a great sense of humor and there are times in our lives where God gives you a certain thing to think about and then he provides you a piece of scripture to look at and when you start dealing with some things, you go, you, it hits you between the eyes. I'm going to tell you tonight and this whole idea of powerlessness is a place where I've been for the last couple weeks, dealing with a number of different issues personally in my life. And then all of a sudden I started looking at the text for this week going, oh, I guess God might be trying to tell me something. Not sure I've gotten to the point where I'm listening entirely yet. I'm trying. But this is just, this is part of your life and this is part of where I'm at and part of the message that he's speaking to me as we talk through what we're going to look at tonight. And so as you think about some situations where you're powerless, for some of you, you may feel like you're powerless at work. 
where you, you feel like you're stuck between management and, and your job. You feel like you have great ideas and nothing's getting done and you can't affect change. You have responsibility but no authority and so you feel stuck. And Satan starts whispering, you're powerless, you're not valued. Time to start looking for a change. Maybe for some of you it's you're feeling powerless against some emotions. Satan loves to use emotions. He loves to get those emotions welling and he loves to use the emotions to get you thinking unclearly. And so you're feeling powerless, like there's nothing I can do. I've tried the running, I've tried the exercise, I've tried the, the talking to counselors, and I just feel like my emotions are running away with me. Maybe that's your sense of powerlessness. For others, it's the sense of powerless against temptation. Where you know you have the sin you struggle with, and you just can't figure out how to stop it. Every time you try to get past it, and it's just sitting there, and you, it, it's like you're trying to lift a 500-pound boulder, and you just are weak and can't lift past that sin. So you feel powerless and out of control, and the feeling that you just have to give in. Or you feel powerless with health. You have a health situation going on, and you just can't get past it. There's no answers. Or maybe it's powerless because you have a loved one who's dealing with some severe health ailment, and it's maybe cancer. I have a really good friend. He's, what is he? What is Eric, 40? Out in California? He's 40, and his body is riddled with cancer. He's a guy that makes me look small. He's a good friend I've gotten to know over the last two and a half years, and for me to feel small next to someone, you kind of have to put that into perspective. And his body is riddled with cancer, and I'm watching him go through this, and I know the thousands of people who are praying for him, and I've watched his blog posts, and I've watched his wife post, and there's one thing that has come out of throughout the entire thing. They don't feel powerless. But many of the people posting on their page, you can read the powerlessness in their situation. I wish God would just take this away from you. I wish he would. Why won't he? And this is when Satan steps in. Go ahead and put the next fill in the blank up there. And this is when Satan steps in and says, I like to whisper. He whispers these lies into your ear that you actually have power or control over this situation. We like to think that we have doctors who know all of this stuff. And then he says, guess what? You think you have control. You think you have medical people. You think you can overcome this on your own. You think you can help yourself out of a financial powerlessness situation where you can't get past the financial debt you've put yourself in. And we like to think we can get ourselves out. And then Satan likes to whisper and laugh, you failed. You're stuck. You thought you had power. Guess what? If you don't have power, guess what? The God who you worship must also have no power that he's left you in this powerless situation. So Satan loves to get us in that place, right? Some of us are dealing with different pieces of this right now. And this is the lies he loves to tell us. And so today as we're trying to understand how do we deal with feeling this powerless situation, or maybe we have somebody that we love who's sitting in this powerless situation where they have a situation going on that they can't control and they're struggling with it. Where do we go? We're going to open up to Philippians chapter 4. So if you want to open your pew Bibles up, yes, I have it before you um, in your bulletins. If you're someone who's sitting here, you can look in your bulletin, but I'm going to encourage you to open up your Bible or to open up your app, Bible app. If you don't have a Bible app that you use regularly, I'd encourage you to use version, um, and then flip, uh, look for uh, Philippians chapter 4. And as you're flipping up to Philippians chapter 4, you've got to know a little about, bit about where Paul is at this point in his life. Anyone want to take a guess at where Paul is when he writes the book of Philippians? He's in prison. How long has he been in prison? Paul has been in prison for more than two years. He sat in prison in 
Palestine for two years awaiting trial because the rulers there didn't want to make a decision that would upset the Jews, even though they knew the right decision they should make. So talk about the ultimate guy who feels powerless. This is a guy who's traveled the world. He has stood before some of the most powerful people in the world. And here he is sitting in a jail because some religious leaders didn't like what he had to say. And they accused him of some things that he didn't do. And then the Romans tried to beat him until he said, oh wait, I'm a Roman citizen. And all of a sudden they got terrified because guess what? If a Roman soldier beats a Roman citizen without a trial, they can be killed. He has had a rough life. He's been in prison for at least two years, probably closer to three. He has then been put on a ship where he's been shackled. The ship goes through a shipwreck, and everybody ends up getting washed ashore. While he's ashore, he gets bitten by a snake, so everybody thinks he must obviously be evil. Because if you know anything of Greek mythology, that must prove he was in a shipwreck, and now the snake bites him. He must be an evil man. And now he is in Rome, awaiting trial to stand before the most powerful person in the known world at that time, who with a turn of his thumb up or down will decide whether Paul dies. So if there is a guy in the entirety of the Bible times writing in the New Testament who has the ability to talk to us about maybe feeling powerlessness, I think Paul is a guy who can talk to us about that, right? He has some life credibility behind him. Not to mention he is an inspired author of God. But this is a guy who has had things happen in his life that he is not in control of. And so what is he open with here as he's closing out his book? He said, his, this letter to the Philippians. Philippians are in Galatia. They are some people who have had some hard times financially. These are some people who've had some rough times economically and everything else that's going on. And so he's writing them a letter while he's in prison in Rome to thank them for a gift. And we're going to get to that in a little while. But he's helping them understand a little bit about where God is in his life. And this is how he closes it out. This is the last chapter. And what does he say? He starts with, if you're struggling with powerlessness, if you're struggling like you're feeling like you're stuck, step one, rejoice in the Lord always. And in case you missed it, I will say it again. Rejoice. So what do you think Paul wants us to do when we get stuck and we begin feeling like we're stuck in a situation we can't control? Step one is to do what? Why is that so hard? Have you ever been there? What's the last thing on your brain when you're stuck in that position that says everything sucks? The last thing on your brain is I want to rejoice right now. No, I'm going to complain. I'm going to cause all, I'm going to make sure everybody knows how bad the situation is. And so what does he say? Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. No matter what you're going through, no matter what the trial is, no matter what baggage you feel like you're carrying, step one, focus back on who's in control And rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice that you are his child. Rejoice in what he has given you. And step two. Let your gentleness be evident to all. So what's your first reaction when you feel out of control and you feel like you're in a powerless situation? What's your first reaction usually? What is it? Anger? You want to say you have some power? You get emotional. You get boisterous. You want to make sure everybody knows your perspective. Right? And what is this comment? Be gentle. That's ridiculously hard. 
This would be the equivalent of watching a badger that is cornered and being set and, and, and playing the possum that just flips over and just plays gentleness, plays like it's dead. It's not the pat picture that I'm going to strike back. I'm going to take this out on everybody. Instead, it's the picture of let us be gentle. And that's where this is really hard. And this is where Satan whispers and he says, no, you don't want to be gentle. And that's where sin works its way in. Because guess what? Instead of being gentle, instead of responding with rejoicing, normally what happens, Paul continues with the next line, do not be anxious about anything. Because guess what? When you're feeling powerless and you're feeling trapped in a corner and you're feeling like you can't do anything, anxiety builds up. That idea of anxiety, which is the feeling of powerlessness and instead of trying to win people with gentleness, you have this idea of everything is out of control and the entire world seems like it's spiraling down. There is nothing good going on. And that anxiety builds on itself and that anxiety builds on the powerlessness and that anxiety builds on powerlessness that then builds on anger. And in the midst of all that, what has Satan done to you? He has pulled you away from rejoicing in the Lord always. And focusing on the one who's died for you and responding with gentleness, Satan has gotten you into this gossip cycle and into this pit of spiraling downward. And that is his favorite game. That's why he's known as the father of lies because it's not just that white little lie that I'm feeling powerless. It's this whole string of things that he links together. And so he says, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't let Satan whisper anxiety into you because you feel powerless. I can tell you over the last week and a half, two weeks, I've struggled with this a lot. There's no more sense of panic and anxiety than getting waken up by your child at 1130 and they can't move. And they're screaming in pain. And you have no clue what to do. And you go, I don't know. And you call the doctors and the doctors say, I don't know. And so the anxiety builds on the fact that you've not slept for a week. And Satan just bellows all of that up into this anxiety-ridden spiral of bad. And so what's Paul's answer to that? Start with rejoicing. Be gentle. Don't get anxious, but because I know anxiety is going to come because that's Satan's little whisper that he loves to use and he loves to build up in you all these bad things that are happening. So here's what I'm going to tell you to do. Step four is pray about everything. Don't give in. With prayers and petitions, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. He has this picture that he sets up for you, right? He's like, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything you do, in every form of anxiety, he says, bring it to God. Bring it to God by a petition. Bring it to God by prayer. Bring it to God with thanksgiving. Lord, here are all the things I'm thankful for. There's a reason why he says, start with rejoicing who, with who God is. And if you're struggling and you're in that pit, sometimes it takes having a friend sitting next to you who's going to walk through it with you. How, what, what do I have to rejoice about right now? I'm sitting here in the situation, how do I rejoice in what's going on in my life right now? Because right now, I'm not seeing things to rejoice for. I'm not seeing things to be thankful for. And so Paul weaves this in and says, here's the deal. When you're getting in this point, start praying about it. And this isn't the AAA call. Have you noticed that? He says, but in everything. 
I want you to underline that. Circle it, whatever you want to do. And this is one of those things that I want you to go home, and if you didn't bring your Bible this week, bring your Bible next week. And if you use the Bible on your phone as your primary Bible, pull it out right now and hit that highlighter mark on your phone. And I want you to highlight this word because he says, pray in everything. This isn't the picture of, I I finally have a flat tire, I need to call AAA. This is the picture of, I have, I'm talking to him as I talk to my best friend. So when I get in the car and I'm going to call someone, because guess what, I now have some downtime. Or hey, I got five minutes here, I got five minutes there. And you use that, I'm going to talk to someone about something. He says, that's who I want to be for you. When you're sitting with these issues, call me. Talk to me. Talk to me about with prayers, with petitions, with everything going on. And give thanks for the things I'm taking care of. The things that you're struggling to struggle with. Give, give thanks to me that I've taken care of them for you. Think about all the things I've done for you already. Think about all those past problems that you thought would never happen, that you'd never get past, and guess what? You are where you are, and I've brought you here. Think about all that. And so he says, don't be anxious and pray about everything. Go ahead. And here's why. What does he promise? And the... Peace of God. I want you to say that. And the, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is, the, this is what he says. Here's what's going to happen. You're feeling powerless. You're feeling like life is out of control. Start by rejoicing. Make sure you are continue to be gentle. Don't get anxious about stuff. When anxiety starts to build, make sure you're praying. Because if you start following these things that I'm asking you to do, I who am God, who have loved you, who, who have died for you, tell you this is what I'm going to do for you. I am going to give you a peace which transcends all understanding. Some of you who heard that at the end of messages or sermons for most of your life, if you grew up in certain circles, every sermon ended with these words. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. That was kind of, that, that, that's, a, that's a phrase that's used at the end of messages often within Lutheran circles. But here's what he's saying. You're not going to understand how you can have peace in the midst of this storm. God never promises to remove you from the storm. Have you ever noticed that? He never promises that he's going to pull you from the storm. He didn't take Peter away from the storm when Peter got stuck, when Peter started drowning. He didn't stop the storm and then save Peter. What did he do? He gave Peter peace within the storm as he rescued him, got him into the boat, and then he stopped the storm. If you think of his disciples as he was sleeping in the boat and they were taking on water and his disciples were panicked that they were all going to drown. These are experienced fishermen who are terrified they're going to be drowned. What does he do? He takes care of them, gives them peace in their heart, and then he stops the storm. He doesn't promise to stop the storm. He promises to give you peace amid the storm. He He promises to give you peace when you feel powerless. And that's a peace you don't grasp. It's a peace that those who are outside the faith will never understand because it's only a a peace that you can understand because of trusting in your Savior, Jesus. The peace of God will be mine. When you start following through and you're feeling powerless, he promises, when you pray to me, I will give you this peace. Hand it off to me. Stop holding on to your baggage. Go ahead. And so then what he says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord at last that you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. 
he pauses here, and, and it seems like kind of a weird transition. It feels a little disjunct. So if you understand that the Philippians are people who have loved Paul, and they've supported him, they've been in an economic hard time. And if you go ahead and jump forward, if you're looking in your Bibles to verses 14 and following, you find out that they actually sent him a gift, and he's saying thank you for that gift. And he was saying that it wasn't necessary, but he thanks them for loving his ministry and supporting his ministry and supporting him while he's in jail. And so that's what he's, so he thanks them for your, go ahead, gifts and for your loving gifts. That's what he's doing here. It just seems like this is kind of thrown in, but I want to explain how it fits in. So he's, he's, he's saying this is where you're feeling powerless. And these Philippians had felt powerless. They had felt like they were struggling because they had been at economic great times. These are retired military people who have money. This is the Sun City or Florida of the ancient world. They're not used to being in economic hard times. This is the retirement center. These are people who are used to having wealth and things. And he's like, you guys are finally back to this, and I give you thanks for this. And I'm not saying this because I'm, I'm, I'm struggling financially. He wants to make it clear. He's like, I'm not saying thank you because I was in a bad way. Thank you for loving me even though I wasn't in a bad way. Because here's what you have, he says next. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every, any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want, I can do everything who, through him who gives me strength. The power to overcome powerlessness is contentment found in Christ. The power to overcome powerlessness is the contentment found in Christ. Paul, as a Pharisee, would have been a part of the upper echelons of society. He would have made great money. There was probably very few things he could not afford. And he is one who is known both ends of the spectrum. And he's currently the guy sitting in jail who has nothing. Everything's been taken. As he got off the boat that was shipwrecked, all he had was himself and the chains they had him in. And so he says here, this is the secret to getting past your powerlessness. How are you content in every situation? How are you content in what God has given you? How are you content with who God has called you to be? How are you content in Christ? One of the greatest studies that has been done in the last 50 years of our country is the picture of those who are the most generous. Do you know who the most generous people are in the country? Percentage-wise, the lowest socioeconomic class within the country. People who are generally living in poverty are generally the most generous people in the country, percentage-wise. And most of those who are generous are generous to their churches and to religious organizations because they trust in the one who's given them everything and they are content with what God has given them and they are the most likely to share because guess what? They're used to not having anything. Guess who the least likely to share are? You'd think that picture of, well, when I make my millions, then I'll be generous. That's when I'll be content. The picture is not being content when you have. The picture of what is contentment is focusing on who Jesus is and what he has given you. And so when you say, I, that's where you get to this end, the, that last sentence, I am powerless without Jesus. I have no power to overcome this sin. 
I have no power to overcome this feeling of powerlessness if I am not focused on the one who has lived and died for me. If I am not finding my strength in the one who says, I will give you this strength. He says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Who's giving the strength? Who's giving the strength? Christ, right? The one who is lived and died and now sitting at the Father's right hand, who God says he's placed everything under his control, the guy who controls everything says, I'm going to give you strength amid this powerless situation. So I want you to write this next piece down. So you have this nice long blank. You have that nice long blank you see there on the second part of your page? And I actually want you to write this down. I can do all things through Christ who, str- who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now I want you to say it with me. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Paul writes to another group of Christians about this. And he writes about his own struggle. Go ahead and put the next one up there. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there has been given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. This is one of those things where some of us are struggling with this powerless feeling. Or some of us are struggling with pieces of this baggage that we can't seem to offload. And we keep going to God and we say, God, why won't you take care of it? God, why won't you offload it from me? And I challenge you, perhaps if you're one of those people that seem to have one of these struggles that keeps coming back, that perhaps this is God's giving you something to keep you focused on him. In our powerlessness, we are forced to focus on the one who is in power. With the real power, sorry. We are forced to focus on the one with the real power. When we are sitting in those depths of places where we can see no hope, when we're sitting in that spot where we're struggling to say, God, I, I can't understand. I, I, I'm stuck. His whole point is, you're right. You are stuck. Now will you stop trying to do it yourself and will you listen to me and trust that I'm going to pull you out, that I'm going to give you the strength and that no matter what's going on, I am actually in control. You say that you trust in me. Now actually do it. You say that you believe in me. It's time for you to put those words into action. Trust that I am who I say I am and that I'm actually in control. And I'm going to tell you, this is ridiculously hard. This is where faith comes in. This is where trusting in him comes in. And it's that point at which you truly do say, Lord, you are in control. When I'm struggling with everything else going on, when I'm feeling powerless, you got to come here and you got to be focused back on the fact that he is the one in control. He is the one who bled and died for you. He is the one who says, I love you so much. I know the situation you're going through. Trust that I am still dealing with you and loving you and, and, and am desperately in love with you. And that no matter what decisions you are making, no matter what is going on, I am still in control of your life. Trust that I am guiding you. Trust that I love you. Because I have died for you. I have risen for you. And guess what? I know you struggle with, with 
this, this idea. I know you struggle at times with trusting in me. And so guess what? I'm going to give you my, my supper. I'm going to give you my body and my blood to forgive you of your sins. To say, here, in this meal, you have received the forgiveness of your sins. Stop carrying this baggage around and trust that I have died for you. And walk away uplifted and encouraged. Because I am going to give you strength. So some of you tonight are struggling with feeling powerless. We're going to have the opportunity to lay that before him in a few moments. And then I want you to come forward and receive the Lord's Supper. And walk forth from here, leaving that baggage behind. And he gives us this final little bit piece of information. For those of you who, who, who are trying to figure out how do I rejoice? How do I figure out how do I be gentle? I'm trying to, to focus on the things to be thankful for. He gives us this little section. So he says, if you're struggling with feeling powerless, I'm going to give you this challenge. I want you to find whatever is true. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. For those of you who are stuck feeling powerless, I want you to look at this list and I want you to start thinking through every morning, what are the things that fit this category? What is something that is true that I've seen from God this week? What is something that is noble? What is something that is right? What is something that is pure? And start making your list. Start making your list. Because he's trying to have you focus on the things that he's been putting in your life that are good. Because Satan's whispers can get really loud. But when you start focusing on the good things that he's been doing in your life, you get to the bottom and he says, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and, God, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the part where he says, now put, this into, put your trust in him into action. And here are your baby steps. Here are the baby steps that when you're struggling with feeling powerless, these are some things you can do to trust in me and to be refocused on what God is doing for you. Go ahead and let's put the list up there. To overcome the feeling of being powerless, we need to first, what's the first thing we need to do? Don't put it up there. Okay, she put it up there. Rejoice always. What's the second thing? Be gentle. Third thing. We're skipping don't be anxious. We're going to jump straight to his answer. Go to have an active prayer life. This means you're talking to God always. You're saying thanks for everything he's answering. It means you're constantly talking with him. And you're constantly talking to him for other people as well. Not just about your own problems, but you're praying for him on behalf of others. Go ahead. And you're going to focus on, we're going to go back to, look at that passage. So point four is you're going to focus on all of the underlined words. So take a moment and underline all those words. And then you can draw an arrow down to point number four. So when you're struggling, here's, we're going to have an, we're going to start with rejoicing always. We're going to go to being gentle. We're going to have an active prayer life. Part of that active prayer life and giving thanks is we're going to go to that list and we're going to go underline all those words and we're going to say, hey, we're going to do these things. We're going to focus on these things. And then we're going to ask him to make us content. Make us content in him. Satan's biggest whisper for powerlessness is contentment. Number six, receive strength from Jesus to fight Satan's attacks. 
And so now I have some homework for you. Yes, this is actual homework for this week. And I'm going to challenge you to actually do this. First thing for the week is the every day, read through Philippians 4, 6 to 13. Every day, read through this section of scripture. Maybe you need to put this, put your bulletin on your bathroom mirror. Maybe you need to put it on, you know, tape it to your steering wheel. I don't know. Maybe it's to your, the lid of your computer. Wherever you need to put it so that you're going to see it every day. Read the passages every day. Point two, this is going to be where the homework gets really hard. I want you to post to Facebook or Twitter something that you find that is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy. So your, more, your challenge every morning is to post to Facebook or by at the end of the day is to post something to Facebook or to tweet something that you saw today that was right. Something today that you saw was excellent. Something where you saw God's hand showing you these things. And point number three, join one of our community groups this week who's going to be talking about this or grab the community group notes on your way out tonight and work through them on your own. They're in the back. The ushers will have them there. They have the community group notes for this week. They, I would encourage you, part of overcoming this powerlessness feeling is being with other Christians who are going to help you through this struggle, who are going to come alongside you, who can say, hey, Kelly, guess what? You're feeling powerless this week? Let's rejoice over what God's done here. Hey, oh, wow, you're looking at this? Let me show you where you have room to be thankful. Oh, you want to be reminded of what he's done for you this, in the last six weeks? Oh, by the way, you had a healthy child. Look at all these things God's been doing for you. And all of a sudden, that powerless feeling goes, oh. And that's the purpose of gathering and being with a community of believers. It's because God uses those believers to surround you with people who love you and can focus you back on him so that Satan's whispers don't win. Because he's already won you. And he wants to maintain you. And he wants to silence Satan from snatching you from him. Amen.